0: We have one mission at the program, develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. Let's go, man. It's race. Welcome to the program podcast. The program is a team building and leadership development company that works with more than 160 collegiate and professional athletic teams and corporations throughout North America annually. And I'm Eric Kapitulik, the founder and CEO of it. The program believes that talent allows us to do well in life. It allows us to win games. But a commitment to getting that much better. Put your thumb and index finger two inches apart. That much better allows us to compete for championships on whatever our chosen battlefield may be. We get that much better by being great teammates and great team leaders. Rejoining me today on the program podcast is Mr. James Kerr. James is the coach's coach. He uses the techniques from his work with the world's most elite teams to include the British SAS, Manchester City Football Club, Google, McKinsey, Boeing, and Goldman Sachs to help leaders galvanize their teams around the C-suite, clarity, connection, cohesion, communication, contribution, collaboration, challenge, character, and common cause. He speaks globally on a range of topics, including high performance culture, leadership practice, and culture change, a winning mindset, and a coach leadership approach to leading change, He is the global best-selling author of Legacy, What the All Blacks Can Teach Us About the Business of Life. James, in our earlier conversation, we discussed the first six of the first 15 lessons in leadership as outlined in Legacy. Are you ready to attack the rest of them? I'm I'm ready and waiting. Let's go. Let's attack. Let's attack. Chapter seven, embrace expectations, aim for the highest cloud. James, one of the things from this chapter that really stuck out to me as an athlete is the idea of loss aversion. And reading the chapter, I came away with it with a sense of loss aversion really first of all, explain to our audience what loss aversion is, but really it can be both helpful and harmful to us, can't it?
1: Yeah, def- I mean, you know, the, how, m- how many times have we gone out to win because we just can't bear to lose? You know, that's the embracing uh, of that. Um, there's a phrase, you know, um, success is a terrible teacher and, and, and failure is a, is a great teacher. So first, understanding just what it feels like to fail, And creating a moving away from state psychologically can be very, very powerful. There's a lot of uh, work that's been done on this. Um, I think in the book, I talk about um, uh, the PGA Tour and and those make or break putts. And uh, where it really makes a difference. Um, And you would think that the pressure at that point leads to poor performance. But actually, the opposite is true, because... They don't want to fail at that point. The level of focus and I guess um, adrenaline or whatever it is acts as acts as a kind of uh, uh, an enhancer of performance. So if you're able to manage that expectation, you're able to manage that pressure, uh, and turn it to your advantage, it becomes uh, and you know maybe not the the top two percent, but a little part of that that or that two inches, a little part of that to help you focus the mind. Um, crystallize what's important and perform just that little bit better. Yeah. You know, we had a few, first of all, what, and I love this from,
0: for our audience, um, what James is referring to is that what they found looking at the statistics of professional golfers, uh, you know, whether it's in in it, this is about the relative strength of two motives. Do you really want to win or do you just really not want to lose? And it was very interesting, right, James? Because what they saw was whether the putt was easy or, or hard. And, and by the way, James, we don't use the word hard in the Capitulic house. We use challenging. But whether the putt was easy or challenging, at every distance from the hole, as you wrote, the players were more successful when putting for par than for a birdie, meaning... We're, they're not really playing for the win, the, the, the birdie. It's they play not all of us. We play not to lose. Uh, we, we had a conversation with Dr. Henry uh, Hendry Weisinger a few months ago who wrote Performing Under Pressure. And he, he wrote and gave a number of uh, great you know, techniques, tactics that we can use uh, to, to perform up to our standard in when when under pressure, what what are some of those things that the All
1: Blacks do? Uh, well, the I mean, uh, I I think if if I take back uh, the big story, and I'm not sure if this is uh, covered in the same chapter or if, if uh, there's a sort of a emerging. But um, in in 2007, uh, the All Blacks let, yet again lost in uh, in the knockout stages of the Rugby World Cup um and they had to take a look at really what pressure is uh and i think some of the 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 way they looked at it i think is really useful for for everybody to look at you know first um one of of the first definitions is that you know pressure is a privilege and i think i mentioned this uh might i might have mentioned this for a moment last week but the pressure is a privilege that if you're not under pressure you know you're not up to enough in your life perhaps it's a yeah. sort of sign that you're alive, that you're doing stuff. Um, I think in military, in the military world, it's you know run to the sound of the guns, you know burn the boats, you know embrace that, and so take a positive mindset to embracing pressure is tremendously important. Um, yeah. Another phrase: you're either under pressure or you're applying it. You're one side of the coin or the other. If you're yeah. feeling it, maybe it's time to play judo with it and turn it around. Um, yeah. And you think about that, if you just think about that in kind of in a business life, you know, get that first phone call in, you know, return yeah. that email, put it in their court. Um, yeah. Whatever you yeah. come back with, come back with something. Don't sit there and dwell on it because that's sort of stagnation, you know, in a, in a, in a sporting environment, you know, where's the weak link? You know, what are you looking for? Yeah. Where are you going? Um, the, the, and we discuss this and kind of go for the gap. So. So, so there's 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 that sense of, of of really reframing what pressure is and being able to work with that really well. And and of course, there there are two sides. Um, just to sort of segue to another part, there are two sides of it. One which is, as you say, failure, and the other one is success. And and the way our minds work is, we imagine both states, failure and success. And so our vision of ourselves is very very much defined by the image that comes. It goes back to Aristotle. Um, that the, 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 the impression he talked about, like wax, uh, that events make in our li- on our life, give us both memory and nostalgia. And it gives, gives us hope, gives us something to work, work towards. Um, so and we tend to often frame the future in terms of the past. So if we if something goes horribly wrong, uh, one philosopher talks about, you know, a dog will never pick up the stick they've been beaten with. You know, there's a visual impression of that stick, and that means something bad. Yeah. Understanding that, that, that something is not what we want provides a moving away state for us. And that's very powerful, very motivating for human beings. It's like um, you never stick your hand in the fire twice. You know, right. you know that fire is dangerous. Now, if you can embrace that um, when times are tough, when times don't go right, you are conditioning yourself very much in a, in a response where you will take decisive action against that. There's a great story from the All Blacks uh, when they lost to the Lions, the British Lions, um, a, a combined team from the British Isles. Um, uh, they, they lost unexpectedly under Sean Fitzpatrick's captaincy and Fitzy, as is, as is known, closed the door to all comers and sat them down and, and said, well, listen, this is what failure feels like doesn't feel very good guys does it? i'm paraphrasing but doesn't feel very good guys does it right we don't want this to happen again do we and really embrace that idea of being with it and being with the discomfort and then really using that as a motive force to go you know not this thanks i don't want to be there again and go out there and work harder prepare harder remove all the complacency and prepare for the next one and of course in the next match, match they smashed them yeah totally Took them apart because fear can be a great motivator. It can also, um, if you don't handle it right, be an inhibitor. Of course, because you become, I don't want that to happen again, and and that's where that um, uh, the embracing the expectation, the 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 move, the the finding a kind of an optimum space where you're on task and in the moment, as distinct from. Um, uh, from from being future focused on my, you know, I don't want to lose again as soon as you're in the don't want to lose again let's not stuff this up. Let's not make mistakes. You're not performing it in an optimum area so so I think the other aspect and we make may cover this um, as we go is is what the all blacks called redhead and bluehead yeah we will redhead and i remind me if we spoke about this last time but but we won't
0: we'll get to it shortly we'll get to this
1: so maybe we save that for this but this yeah redhead and bluehead redhead being really a future focused you know things are going to go wrong mindset compared with bluehead which is being on task you know take care of your business take care of the small stuff and the big stuff will take care of itself and the score will take care of itself and so so shifting mindset, both in terms of understanding what pressure is, embracing failure is a motivating force, um, but also finding some good strategies and techniques to handle the pressure at the time, To at which, again, we'll talk about. I think that's the kind of the, the stepwise progression to really to, to, to use that fear of failure really positively.
0: You know, James, as you're talking, it, it reminds me of... Um, <laughs> one of the things that in our audience has heard me speak about this but um, I'll give you a very quick synopsis my wife and I we we have our nine-year-old son we have a three and a half year old daughter and we we were went through the adoption process and we're actually selected to adopt a little uh, baby boy as it was and, and that baby boy lived in our home for a week and then the birth mother changed her mind and we had to bring, uh, the baby boy who we had named Eric Lewis Capitola Jr. uh, back to her, and I i left my to this is during COVID, it's just a few months. So I, I had to bring uh, the baby back by myself, her son back uh, by myself because of our response to COVID. And I had to leave my family, my wife, my son, my daughter, who were bawling their eyes out on our kitchen floor. Anyway, the, the point is, I got home that night and uh, my son and I, I, I talked to my wife and said, it, she had texted me and said, hey, is it okay if Axel doesn't go to school tomorrow? And on the way home, after dropping the baby off, I had to go to New York, so about three hours away. I texted her back and said, look, if you haven't spoken to Axel yet, our son, let me, uh, you know, wait till I get home, if that's okay. I'd like to talk to him. So I got home late that night and got McDonald's <laughs> right before we... Uh, before I got home and and came upstairs, I gave him McDonald's, we had a conversation. And one of the things I highlighted, and I think this is so important for parents, but I I think it's important and you highlighted it with with the all blacks and with corporate leaders, whomever, is accurately defining what failure means to you. Mm -hmm. And as I spoke to Axel that night, as I explained to him, was success winning and losing is important don't please don't don't ever think it's not it it, it is but we're going to stay focused on being a success yeah and what we mean by that is you give your hundred percent you do your very best in everything you do in your preparation In your practice, and by practice, I don't mean just athletically. I mean, whatever that might be. You do your very best. And in the execution, the test, the business meeting, the game, do your very best there. And if you do so and lose, you are still a success. If you don't and win, you might be happy it might give you pleasure, I'm sorry, it might give you pleasure, but that attitude will never build true happiness in your life. Hmm. And if we can just stay focused on doing our very best, then the accomplishments become a byproduct of doing so. But I think if too many, too many, and we see it ourselves in our own line of work, James, is that parents, coaches, business leaders, they equate being a success in life with winning. And that's very dangerous. You'll end up having a a very, very depressed, (laughs) depressing life. Um, I like the fact when you talk about having high expectations, that that doesn't mean not to have high expectations. Absolutely. But the accomplishment of those high expectations, if we can just stay focused on doing our very best every day, those high expectations end up being a byproduct of our doing so. Absolutely. You know, it's the Kipling
1: Uh, quote, uh, you know, if, um, which is uh, etched over the entrance, the player's entrance at at Wimbledon, which is, you know, to, uh, I won't quote it exactly, but treat those two imposters, success and failure, just the same. That's right. Um, Because actually, it's about bringing yourself to the task. And the rest is slightly out of our, it's, it's kind of out of our control. It's, we can control it as much as we can. But if you know you brought 100% to what you can control, that you brought your best to it, then the rest will kind of take care of itself. And any successful life has negotiated a lot of failure. You know, (laughs) you know the, uh, the 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 billionaires who have been bankrupt. You know, it's inevitable in a way to 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 risk great things. And risk comes with reward, but it also comes with with the possibility of failure. And and so it's being able to be okay with that. And to learn from that, that I think is is fundamental and not creating a narrative around it. You, you spoke about your adopted son, and there are many different narratives that you could create around that, you know, we thought we were blessed, but we weren't blessed, you know, you know, we, we, um, you know, why does the bad stuff always happen to us? You know, or you know, it it could have been perfect. I mean, all of that stuff, and it's all yada yada yada. Really, it's all just a narrative that you create. But if your narrative is, listen, we, you know, we brought ourselves to it wholeheartedly and and fully, and this is what happened, and we couldn't have done any more, and that's what it is. And and God bless and go well. Um, then then you retain what is a, really a successful life, which is which is. One of of uh, of kind of peace and satisfaction and being able to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. I think. Yeah, James. One final thing I'd love for you to talk about is
0: because you, you just mentioned how th- the idea that uh, you know he said bad things would happen and so bad things happened, right? Like that's that's the way life works. I mean it 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 really. Uh, and and I loved how you put it, where uh, you you tell a what's possible to yourself and to your team and the world repeats that story back to you. I think where you're, and I'm paraphrasing you here, but, but I, I loved how you said it, how the, the yeah. world will tell your story back to you. And there was a really cool story that you highlighted about all blacks, captain Richie McCaw and GAB. I, I, I told my son about it. I, I loved it where he goes to, to see uncle Big Z, I think, who lives in the, well, look, James, I live in North Grovenerdale. Yeah, south
1: Dale. Of the South Island, uh, Hakatara Maya.
0: Yeah, no, I we, mean, I, I live in North Grovenerdale, Connecticut, right, like, it
1: sounds like, what is it, Hakataka Maya? Like, that's like- we, we used to call it Hakatara uh, I used to live there, actually. I, I grew up there <laughs> between the ages of about two and four. And, and one of the macaws uh, uh, would babysit me uh, in those days. So Wow. You know, it's
0: well, can you the- tell that story? That's it's so cool about Richie yeah. and so, GAB.
1: So, so Richie tells the story of, of when he was in his teens, he announced to his family he wanted to be an all-black. And, um, and everyone said, well, that's brilliant. Everyone wants to be an all-black. Kind of what are you going to do about it? And he uh, you know, wrote it down. If it's not written, it's not real. And so he wrote down those steps, you know, school first 15, um, age group representation, um, provincial, uh, the franchise, franchise captain, all blacks, all blacks captain. And his uncle said something like, is that it? Is that kind of the limit of your ambition just to be the all blacks captain? Surely you want to be a great all black. Surely you want to be up there and one of the grades. And so Richie wrote down G-A-B at the top of his page. He's, as I think you alluded in our last podcast, he keeps notebooks um, and uh, it would be a great all black, G-A-B. And and it became his North Star, his kind of purposeful um, mantra, I think. And he would ask himself, what would a great all black do? Yeah. And that's a brilliant question. That's a brilliant question on any day, you know, what, what would a great do in your field of endeavor? Um, and then living into that, um, and and in that way, you're kind of uh, positively refer, affirming a, a possibility. It's a wish fulfillment um, uh, kind of techniques. It's it's the Australian Aboriginals used to talk about singing the world into existence um, by our speaking. Robert Rodriguez, the film director, when when asked, you know, how do you how do you become a film director? He said get a business card printed with your name on it and film director underneath, that's your first step. Claim it, claim the zone. Um, yeah. And of course, Richie became the great all black. You know, he is the great all black. Um, and, you know, as I understand it, he, he, he believes that he, that would never have happened if he hadn't kind of claimed it back then. Yeah. Um, there's a Maori proverb, aim for the highest cloud because even if you come short, you hit a lofty mountain you know, go hard and, and go home. Um, again, I think I might have mentioned there's a there's a psychiatrist, um, psychologist who works the lead sport over here in the UK, he says, don't call me a, a shrink, call me a stretch. You know, his aim is to is to is to put you into that zone of discomfort and, and ambition uh, can do that. So I guess that's the other side of embracing expectations. It's, it's, it's you know, learn from failure and fear it in a healthy way and move away from that, but stretch yourself with 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 a with a with an ambition with a vision of kind of what's possible. And so, as I said, that image of imagining what could happen, putting that aside, but but what might happen, what what I might bring about are, are very two sides of that same vision thing. And I think that's very powerful,
0: James. I, I'm getting uh, a little emotional as, I, as I'm hearing listening to you because it reminds me, you talk about Richie McCaw, right? G-A-B, and, and he, he did. He used to have all kinds of notebooks, as you wrote, that mantras and sayings and, and everything else. And, and I love two things. First of all, I loved how the thing he wrote down first before every single match was, every single day was, start again, that, yep, and now I got to start again. And I get a little emotional as I listen to this because some of our listeners um, who are Marines know uh, Doug Zembek, and my son Axel is named Axel Douglas Kapitulik after Doug Zembek, who was my best friend and and Naval Academy grad and with me and and or I was with him and a Marine who died in Iraq and. Uh, Doug did the same thing when I was when I was reading about Richie in his books and his notebooks. Doug would write down the same exact thing all the time, and uh, to this day, when faced with a tough decision, I think, what would Zembek do? Doug Zembek, right? I, I think, what would Zembek do? And it, and you talk about a legacy, right? And So anyway, I get emotional thinking about it and thinking about the similarities there between Richie McCaw, a great All Black, and Doug Zembek, a a great Marine. uh, But that does him a disservice. He's just a great human being. So, yeah,
1: Yeah, and and you know, living into an idea, you know, is is tremendously powerful. And and it it, and an idea, of course, comes originally from the Greek, means to see, to live into an idea into a vision. Of, of of what's possible or what, um, and of course it's not it's not it's not a new idea. A lot of this a lot of this goes way way back. I mean, it's not too dissimilar from Christians being Christ like, you know, living into that idea yeah. of Christ. Um, yeah. And and in, in term, uh, you know, and if you even look at the idea of of karma you know, uh, or the golden rule in Christianity, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, the what you put out comes back to you. Um, Karma, you know, your actions here will define you forever in one way or another, you know, the cause and effect of our character, that two sides of the coin, you know, our character on one side and character is impact that we have on the other side. So, so really understanding that the, the, the way we frame our experience and who we are, what we stand for, um, will tend, the, the, the earth will pivot around us in many ways. You know, the, the circumstances will change because we have changed and the ability to, a lot of change in, in team and collective environments begins with personal, a, a sense of personal transformation, a 10%. sense of personal growth. Uh, and I think that's very, very important. Um, to, to, to really, you know, rather than what can I do about this, I'm just one part of something, we'll stand for something. It, it reminds me of, there's a great story about Gandhi. That, that, that's being a victim. That's being a victim rather yeah. than a generative force. You that's know, there's, right. a great, there's a great um, story of Gandhi, um, who uh, when asked, you know, how will you get the British out of India? Um, he, yeah, said, yeah. Um, he said, uh, I will just say, um, the British shall leave India, and the journalist goes, "Yeah, but what do you mean? How are you going to do it?" And he says, "I will just say the British will leave India," and of course he's asked again, "Yeah, but but what does that mean?" You know, "I will just say the British," and he kept saying it until the British left India, yeah. and by being a stand for it, standing for something, and and inhabiting that that intention. Yeah. Um, A lot changes over time. And and you know, as as anyone who's sort of had breakthrough moments in their life and found themselves suddenly walking with the people they've always aspired to be walking with, or working with people they've always aspired, or suddenly they're a CEO, or suddenly they're a Marine, or suddenly they're an all black, or suddenly they're an author, or suddenly they're doing something. You know, that's beyond the dreams of a child. And and how do you get there? By first deciding that's where you're gonna go. That's right. And then, and then living that as powerfully as you can every day. And that's really where character comes in. And I think the bedrock of values and a driving purpose and a real clarity of vision about the future that you want to see, if you can hold those in mind and find ways for, for those ideas to guide your behaviors and your decisions 100 times a day, 365 days a year, um, as many years as, as you've got on this earth, amazing stuff happens. Yeah. And that's that generative force.
0: Your, your point about the transformation team transformation starts with individual transformation. That's a nice uh, segue into chapter eight, train to win practice under pressure, because to, to change there, there will be uh, discomfort it's going it, to, which pressure causes. And I loved On that about train to win practice under pressure that Wayne Smith the all black coach talked about that training the training decision making wise should be harder than the game so you try an overlying principle of throwing problems at them meaning at the all blacks unexpected events forcing them to solve the problems and, and this is what I really liked because I see it too often with the athletic teams, college and pro athletic teams with whom we work. And we talk to coaches about this constantly, James, where Wayne Smith highlights training on Thursday is all about intensity. The players don't stop for mistakes. They reason quite rightly that opposition teams don't stop for all blacks errors. They try to take advantage of them so they should train that way talk about that a little bit more from the all black perspective how do the all blacks handle mistakes during a film session or practice or game uh what do they do about those things i know we we talked about a debrief after the fact but uh does the coaches do the players do they impose consequences for a mistake do do does wayne smith and the coaching staff always stop immediately i mean obviously on thursdays they don't but i I think too often people want to coaches want to fall in love with their practice film and say man look what a beautiful practice we had rather than hey did this prepare us for saturday or friday night whatever it might be i
1: think that word is is the word preparation you know, you know, how do you prepare for pressure situations, the best way to prepare for pressure situations is under pressure. And that yeah. can be very difficult to replicate on the training paddock on the training pitch. Um, uh, because it's just a training, we're looking for technical things, we're doing a run through, you know, they training exercises. Um, but how do you train like it's real? Um, mm-hmm. In the military, there's a there's a phrase, you know, train hard, fight easy. Yep. You know, you strip a weapon five hundred times on the cold back of a mountain in the, at midnight, right? And under pressure, under fire, you only have to do it once. It's automated. It's conditioned. So yep. how? So, so we are we are uh, we are beings who thrive through our conditioning. We're we're um, subjects of our environment. Yes. So how can you create an environment that conditions you appropriately for those life or death moments? in sport business life military whatever it is now um, the all blacks talked about this as uh, they called it train to win which was spiking the intensity as as you as you pointed out on a thursday making it real they then they're not alone like that in in uh, football soccer um it's going kind nose of known as a periodization and it's yeah. periods of actual play uh, under pressure um, And it's a more holistic approach to, to, you know, kind of coaching models from the past, which have been much more sort of skills-based only. Let's get the technical, uh, uh, you know, the run through, let's make sure it all clicks. Mm -hmm. But of course that doesn't replicate the conditions of play, which might be scrappy and there might be a, I don't know, crowd noise, a streaker, lights in your eyes, the rain comes down, um, somebody gets injured, there's, there's a there's a water boy on the pitch, you know, the ball doesn't quite bounce the way that you want it. You know, there's a lot of random stuff that happens and our ability to respond in that moment to the unexpected is what's going to give us that extra two inches. Um, yeah. But the question is, how do you prepare? Now, there were some great stories, some of them true, some of them not. In a way, it sort of doesn't matter about Some of the some of the way that uh, this particular team prepared around literally having a kicker and shifting the goalposts or taking the corner flags and incrementally moving them inwards so that the back three, as they say, the bomb squad who were taking what are called in rugby, the up and unders had less room to play in or. I'm kind of tripping a player and having him sprawled out on the ground, not quite, but taking him out, out of the play, just pulling a halfback out and saying, right, guys, deal with it. How do you deal with that? It's random. It's unexpected. Now, you start to apply that to to a non-sporting field and you go, you know, what, what say you've got a massive presentation. It's a $10 million presentation to a, for a major supply contract. Do you kind of sit there in a, in a nice restaurant and run, flick through a couple of slides and say, and then we'll say this? Or do you set up match conditions? Do you set it up yes. and then do you get some hecklers? And then do you get somebody who's going to be really pedantic about something and somebody who's going to point out a typo on the slide in the middle of your main point? How do you deal with that? Because the way you deal with those moments will define the result, not the other. So I think there are a lot of applications for it. Um, and there's a... The the you know there's you know I'm I'm always incredulous with um with um say football teams soccer teams who don't practice penalties, you know because often penalties will decide an entire tournament, but yeah. often they're not really practiced because well we just hope it won't go to that, yeah. Or rugby teams that don't practice drop goals under you know um, clutch conditions, um. Well, why wouldn't you? They're going to be that. That's going to be the extra part that that defines things. And also, it's fun. I mean, the other thing, it's fun. It's engaging. It's that challenge that everyone wants. And so, finding ways to challenge ourselves and grow, therefore growing, I think, is really fundamental. Uh, the conditions to condition us to perform under pressure when it matters. Yes. Yeah.
0: The it, and it's so interesting, right? Because. It, the, you talked about in having the $10 million presentation, right? And some of the things you mentioned, and again, speak referring back to Dr. Henry, Henry, Weisinger, who had written performing under pressure. One of the things he talked about, about presentations was, you know, we think in the way we prepare, we tend to go into a quiet room by ourselves. Yes. Right. Exactly. Like, okay, but that's not, that's not how you're going to give this presentation. We also tend to start, okay. Slide number one, yeah. Okay. Slide number two. He was talking about like, okay, get your, if you have nobody else, just get your family around and start on slide
1: 15 and say, here, go. Go ahead. On, Right. Because you know, you know how it is. We've, all, we've all been in, in, um, in presentations with the kind of um, like low attention span CEO it says, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just get to the numbers. Yeah. Let's yeah. just get to the numbers or, or oh, 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 I've just got a question about this. And then they start talking about golf and then they're yeah. back over here. And then it's like something else or da, da, da. And it's those curveballs that get us. Yes. And, and and partly, you know, when we're under and, that, and that's the pressure. It's the unexpected. Now you can't, you can't prepare for exactly what happens, but you can you can, you can prepare for moments of unexpectedness of having yeah, to speak yeah. on your feet, of having to deal with stuff on your feet, yes. of having to cope with the unexpected. And, you know, I, I think about this. I, I gave a, a talk a week or so ago to an Italian firm. Um, it was on a, using a very strange platform. I uh, had a translator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was very, very difficult mm-hmm. to, to do. And the only reason I could manage it is that I'd, I knew the material And some of the material was about pressure and resilience. And of course, uh, I could refer to how difficult it was in that moment, because I knew the material, I could put it together and it turned out to be a crackingly good, if I say so myself, a crackingly good show presentation because I was able to roll with the punches. But if I had got flummoxed and and sat back and thought, this is not how it's supposed to be going, um, but hold it a minute, you know, it's a, as you say, it's kind of a victim mindset. You're on the back foot. You're not able to be that generative force you need to be to, to make things work for you. James, let me ask you a question off the topic of legacy, but you bring it up because I, I personally have a couple I'd love to share with you. But
0: because you speak, uh, you know, so much as a, uh, you know, globally, uh, tell me the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the middle of a presentation.
1: <laughs>
0: um that you just had to deal with. Uh,
1: well I I was uh, I the thing that leaps to mind is um, I I gave a presentation in Kabul in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, I was there that's with the- a, That's <laughs> a good place to start. A <laughs> good, good place to start. And yeah. um, and a helicopter decided to land next to it halfway through it. Um, <laughs> so that was tricky because you know it takes a while for a helicopter to sit yeah. <laughs> And for the blades to start spinning. And I'm standing there on stage, kind of going, No one's gonna hear me. Yeah. And of I, I could I had to stop. But but I think again, and, and this brings me back to actually one of the best advices I ever had about speaking, which was um, I I was working for an advertising agency and a junior writer for an advertising agency, and they put us on a presentation course. And and what the the lesson I learned I'll never forget, which was you can do anything, it's your space. And, um, and the, the challenge, we, we got given a little index card with a challenge, just as we walked up to give a presentation. We had to prepare this presentation for the group. We were given, given an index card. And my challenge was casually walk up to the back of the room, touch it, and walk back to the, to the front in the middle of your speech. And of course, you know, I was planted, you know, I was, and but what you realize is you can pretty much do anything. Yeah, your speech, and I walked to the back and touched it and walked back in the middle of the speech. And I was much more relaxed. And I was much more able to perform and I realized it was my space. Yeah, I think they and I think it ties into what we've been talking about that idea that um, by conditioning yourself putting yourself under pressure, the, the long kind of noisy silence with a helicopter, I could just stand there and I was comfortable. Yes. with this idea that this was happening and was able therefore to, to handle it, I think. Um, whereas it's, it's very, very possible to, to just completely freak out and you've lost it by that point and the fear comes up and you've lost the crowd and it just gets worse and worse. Um, I,
0: I always, I love when the audience, that's hilarious by the way. I love when the audience, somebody from the audience tells me that I love how you just speak from the heart because in my head what I'm thinking is no, I've practiced this so much that I can make it sound like I'm speaking from the heart. Yeah. And two things James one, I was giving a speech and I had somebody in the middle of it and this wasn't a big group either maybe a, maybe a hundred people and somebody in the in the middle of my presentation passed out. They had to have an ambulance EMT come in as I'm standing on stage is this person's getting carted out from? I'm just, and by the way, it's not like I was having them do push-ups. I mean, they're just sitting there listening to me speak. And all of a sudden the ambulance is there, people are getting up and everything. And uh, so that stands out for me. But one in particular, James, early on in, in giving, you know, motivational speeches, keynote addresses, I'm speaking at the biggest firm I had ever spoken to. Uh, there's, you know, there's 10,000, I think not 10,000, but I think there were 7,000 people in this huge auditorium in Vegas, in Las Vegas. And uh, I'm that morning I get up early, I get a workout in, I shower, I rehearse, right? I've, I, I get my cup of coffee and I'm, and I'm taking the elevator down in this, I think it's the MGM, it's a beautiful hotel, right? I'm, I'm taking the elevator down as I go to my presentation and people are coming on and off and I'm just kind of down looking at my notes as I go through them making sure I'm, I'm, you know, one last time. And all of a sudden I see this person kind of shuffle onto the elevator and he, and I kind of look up and I'm like, Hey, what's, what's up? How you doing? And I go back to my notes. And then I see the feet as I'm looking down, I see his feet kind of turn around and look at me. And then I look up at him and you can tell clearly, James, he's been enjoying Las Vegas all Mm -hmm. night long. I mean, he's got, he, he's unshaven his suit, he's got like the Las Vegas sheen. I don't know if, if, if you know, James, yeah, yeah. if you've ever been to Las Vegas, but, but there's like a, a film across his face from sweat and smoke and everything else, right? And uh, he, he looks at me and he goes, how am I doing? He goes, I've been up all night. I'm hungover. And I have to go listen to some guy talk to me for the next hour. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. This is this is gonna be rough if this is what my crowd is gonna be like. So I don't say anything and I go, Yeah, boy, that does sound rough, right? Anyway, I go give my presentation and he comes up to me afterwards and is like, dude, I am so sorry. I did not know that was you. I was like, Man, I'll tell you what, I was like, You put some pressure on me there at the, at the yeah.
1: start of this thing. So it's you I'm speaking to. Yeah. And I quite like you know, I quite again you know, embracing the pressure. You know it's the it's the person flicking on their on their through on their phone in the third row a little bit out out there they're the ones you have to win and and um, I I, th- I think the other thing about that, that that occurs to me and there was a great story um, my what and my agent actually told me about um, my literary agent was was with uh, I won't name names but one of the members of the spice girls if you remember the spice girls oh, so the sure. spice Girl, uh, they went to a performance at the at the Albert Hall, um, you know, in in London, um, and it was at the time the Spice Girls. I think they just got, I think, kind of the first British number one since the Beatles or something like that. Massive achievement. Um, and and the the somebody on the stage said, you know, welcome to Ms. X. I won't won't name names, but. Um, uh, who, who you know, of the Spice Girls, number one in America this week. Bang, spotlight's on. She's standing there. She's looking out at the whole of the Albert Hall, standing in ovation and clapping her, except for one person who's sitting in the middle, kind of gesturing to her, you know, give a flipping her the bird, I think is the US phrase. Yeah. And like, yeah. honestly thought her music sucked. And yeah. um, that's the person you remember. Yeah, <laughs> it so is. You know, you can have you can have applause and adulation forever, but it's the one person in the middle of saying you suck. Yeah. Um. That. So. So. You know, success and failure, you know, are equally in, imposters. And. Yeah. And. And as you you began, you know, at the beginning of, or you know, as you were talking about, you know, enjoying the process, being present to the process, bringing your best self to it. Controlling what you can control um, applies, I think, to just about everything, to happiness in your life, and the ability to to weather the storm when you've got the wrong, you brought the wrong deck for your presentation. Suddenly, it's your 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 kids' homework slideshow in front of seven thousand people at Vegas. How do you deal with that? Well, if you deal with it with a sort of a sense of actually, I mean, first you prepare. You don't let that happen, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But if but, but stuff will happen. And being able to stay connected and stay present, I think, is, is is extraordinarily important and powerful, and defines your success really. And James, you know the 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 to, to do so though, you know, a,
0: the, a pushback at the program. One one of the big pushbacks we get from corporations is, oh because what we do james it is not hey turn around and fall back into my arms and we're going to call that trust development like oh no that's not what the program does we're going to have rubber zodiac boats out there we're going to be we're going to get you out of doors we're not doing our training we might do some teaching indoors but we're going outside here and the the pushback is oh no that like we can't do that and and we see that I can't speak for, for Britain, but I'll speak for America. This idea of safety is paramount. It's, it's the be all. We just got to stay safe. We're going to make this as safe as possible. Getting back to my son. I mean, I have that conversation with him all the time is, Oh no, you want to be safe. Absolutely. Do nothing, be nothing, achieve nothing in your life. Be nobody. Well, you'll stay safe but well, you, is that the sort of won. life
1: is, is that the but you in su- in no, and,
0: so, and, and James and in the long run yeah. it, James in the long run it's it's the worst thing i mean you, you want to live a happy life live dangerously right i think it was that Nitschke who said that or somebody right like uh and but this idea about being safe you you mentioned in in legacy the the uh the, I think it was Russian, I, 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 boy, I hate to say this, and, and by the way, I, I appreciate the shout out to the Marine Corps when you're talking about training under pressure, but the, uh, yeah, Alexander Zuvorov, yes. he, ta- he talks about constant progressive and repetitive training under conditions gradually approaching those of genuine combat, and, and then he had the idea, and you're going to have to talk about this, but attacking through, a thousand men would charge from one side, a thousand from the other at pace and with meaning men and horses were injured. Some would even die as the practice was repeated and repeated better to lose a few men in training, Zuvorov believed, than lose a battle. His methods worked. He was never defeated. You know, James, more more a statement than a question is the fact that not only that's true in all of life was not only are you not defeated, but the truth is you, you save many more people. Many more people are, are safe, healthy, happy, wealthy in life by not playing it safe. Not being safety is the absolute thing that we're shooting for. It's not. A happy life is the thing that we're shooting for. And to do that, we're going to have to train under pressure because for us to achieve everything that we want to achieve,
1: we're going to have to have some discomfort. Yep. There's no point going to the gym if it doesn't hurt the next day. And um, they, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, if we talk about bringing up children um, and uh, I won't get into a sort of gender difference, but I think probably particularly bringing up boys, you know, you, you, ne- you need to, you know, fall off some high bars occasionally. You know, if you, if you put kids in a, in, a, in a playground, they will go and risk instinctively and try stuff out and fail and risk again, and fail, you know, I come from a skiing background, you know, to, to be a good skier, you need to be prepared to fall over, a, a, you know, a 1000 times, you need to be prepared to not be a good skier, to be able to be a good skier. Um, to be a writer, you've got to be able to write really badly and be okay with that, and push through that to a point that you get to be a half decent writer. And um, the the and and the so so being able to be with the unpleasant side the dark side i guess the shadow side in any cultivation of any growth i think is 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 incredibly important you know i i think i think there are i think you know society changes there's a, there's a lot of talk here around concussion for instance in rugby and i know that's been a big subject in, in the nfl um, we know more now than we did then and we have to change you know that's just good practice, I think. But when it becomes a pervading culture of risk avoidance, um, rather than let's say risk mitigation, you know that's it's right. important to mitigate risk, but not to avoid it. You that's know, you right. Cal- it's everything is a calculated risk anyway, um, and it's and it's fundamental to do that. And I think the you know the health and safety police, um, the idea that we couldn't possibly do that because of what it might potentially might cost us, cost you everything. And there's there's a story, again, I can't name names, but a, a an SF unit um, here in the UK were uh, asked to kind of give uh, one of the international teams uh, out of here a bit of a beasting, you know, uh, mm-hmm. prior to a World Cup, about mm-hmm. a year before a World Cup. And they put together a program and um, sent it off to the coaches and never really heard back. And this is like a privilege to... To work with these guys. So they right. you know yeah. no one had ever really turned them down before. And they found out that one of the strength and conditioning coaches was worried about some of the players getting injured on this thing, like stress injuries. Um, and of course, all of these SF guys just took their bets off the table on this team because they thought this team is not gonna win. And of That's course right. they did. And and you know, anecdotal, you know, probably a little bit of mess hall exaggeration and all of that, but, but I think fundamentally that idea that if you're not prepared to kind of. Um, lose some along the way, let's say you know if you're not prepared for you know your nine year old son to potentially break an arm on some high bars one day in a playground or Skinner's knee or go over his handlebars. Um, then are you really parenting in a way that is, is setting him up for the conditions of life?
0: Yeah, look, I hate you as a parent. Sorry? I hate you as a pa- those types of parents.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't wrap your kids in you know, you know it's either helicopter, isn't it? Or, or, or cotton wool or, or um, like snow clearance in front of them clearing the way so that there's no obstacles. The obstacles build character. The broken arm builds builds character. As long as it's, you know, you want to mitigate that risk, but you don't want to avoid it altogether. Dr. Leonard Sachs,
0: who will be, who's, who's a future guest on the program podcast wrote, boys adrift, James, I would, I'd recommend it. And, but there's a, there's a line, I read it a decade ago, and I called my wife over and said, Hey, you got to read this, we have to remember this every day of our lives. And what he writes in, in the book is that our job as parents, coaches, teachers, business leaders is to prepare our children for the path. Instead, what we have is we have a nation of parents, coaches, teachers, business leaders instead, who try to prepare the path for the child. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And in the long run, God, we hurt our children. We hurt our athletes. We hurt our students. We hurt our, our, our employees, our our teammates, our corporate teammates by trying to prepare a path. Look, this idea about training under pressure, prepare under pressure. Yes. At the end of it, it might be painful, whether it's physically psychologically, mentally on, on some level, but, you're preparing yourself for greater success later on and we, we have to do that as as and, and, and we don't need to say well you know we can do it for ourselves number one even if you don't have a team or think you're on a team do it for yourself you're going to have a better life you're going to be able to achieve much more in the long run but I bring up the idea about children only because So say you're not a business leader, say you're not a coach on that's listening to this podcast today. Look, if you're a parent, God start at home. And and by the way, James, being the father to a three and a half year old daughter, I'd say in reading all the, what you can read about the importance of this idea of, uh, for your daughters, go, go climb the high bar. Like yeah, break your arm too. It's almost psychologically in the differences in, in between the genders. It's almost more important that
1: the girls. I I, I agree. Know. I agree. Don't don't yeah. don't stay limited. And 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 you know I I think it's important also to say that doesn't mean you can't do it without compassion. Oh, you know, and and you know I think I think often and this happens in I guess little league coaching or or you know where where. The kind of the screaming tough guy sergeant major kind of coach model, so you know, it often happens on the sidelines where people say, you know, toughen up, drink concrete, and toughen up, and all of that kind of stuff. Now, that's that's not good coaching either. You know, the the, the need is, you can do it, go out and do it, and if it, if you come back with a with a with a grazed knee, you know, be compassionate, validate the pain you know, be present to what is going on. Um, don't deflect it away and say, it doesn't matter. It won't hurt tomorrow. It hurts right now, you know, and that's okay too. And and the, and being kind of, um, you know, rigorous guidelines, you know, like pushing them out onto the path, but also being uh, genuinely supportive uh, of, of the of, of the rights of passage that that takes and it's not like we'll Completely. just go out there and don't come crying to me you know that's that's, that's right. one step too far and i think it's 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 kind of um you know firm but fair you know tough but kind and and really getting that balance right i think i, I think is important and i think sometimes people go too far into the uh well toughen up your snowflakes you know snowflakes are beautiful little delicate crystals, you know, and they do melt under pressure, you know, um, but, but if you put them under enough pressure, pressure, enough of them together, they create snowballs and they're pretty effective weapon. Um, yeah. so, so it's, there's, there's gotta be heart to this as well as, as the kind of the hard headedness, I think. And that's just good leadership. And that's just good leadership. Exactly. That's
0: right. Let you, you, you can train under pressure, as, as long as your team knows, A, hopefully you're doing it with them, number one, in some, on some levels, or that you would do it with them, number one. Number two, if you can prove that you care about whomever it is on your team, but you have to do so, that you, they have to know that you have their best interest at heart. Yeah. James, we talked about it a little bit earlier, keep a blue head yeah. Ex- explain the importance of that
1: well this is a continuation of, of before is is in 07 um the all lost in 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 the quarterfinals of a world cup a terrible kind of against the run of um of, of form if you like and they were the favorites by a long way for the competition this is Repeated a pattern that had happened over 24 years. They'd been, you know, they were famous for being world champions between World Cups, and so they, they, you know, they looked at what pressure is—that it's a privilege, it's about embracing it, it's about walking towards it. Um, but, but they they brought in a forensic psychologist uh, called Kerry Evans, who uh, put a very simplified kind of um, mind map, I guess, or or, or visual depiction of of two states, and this was really about state changing from an unresourceful to a resourceful state, the unresourceful state redhead. Um, and the, the, the best way I, I understand this or or is, um, and this is also, by the way, this goes way, way, way back into, into the martial arts. and And really, it's just about understanding the, the, the dynamics of, of pressure and of performance and kind of an optimum performance space in your head, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Redhead is future-based thinking, catastrophic future-based thinking. You imagine you're driving a car, there's a traffic jam, you're late for a meeting. Which way am I gonna go? Where am I gonna park? Um, uh, we won't get the $10 million contract, right? If we don't get the $10 million contract, I can't, we, can't pay the bonuses, my staff will leave me, my company will go down, Um, uh, my cattle leave me, my life is over, right? All of that going on in your head in a moment in your head and of course it's at that moment that a car comes out from a side road and takes you from the side because your mind wasn't on the road, right? You weren't performing your task which was to drive the car and So the opposite of that is bluehead, clear, accurate, on task, in the moment, time slows down, horizon opens up, flow, in the zone, however you say it, however you you picture that. Mm -hmm. So the two questions, how do you recognize the red and how do you get to the blue? That's right. Um, You know, recognizing the red is difficult when you're losing it. So in an ideal world, that's a team game. You know, I've always... um, you know, if you can call each other out and and reboot each other within a group, that's very powerful. Or if you can, uh, uh, if you can develop enough self awareness, to, to be conscious of the signs that you're getting stressed, you're getting irritable, you know, you're, I mean, I think of it in family life, you know, it tends to be too much to drink the night before, right, spicy food, I don't know, you know, not enough sleep, workplace pressure, yeah. you know, money, lack of money, with, maybe Yeah, money, you know, a comment that is niggled at you and you haven't really addressed, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bad haircut, hay fever, doesn't really matter. You know, you're just not on, you know, you're not in a good place. So you, you know, the wisest of us are able to recognize that um, mm-hmm. and interrupt it somehow, do something about it, go for a run, take a cold shower, whatever it is. You know, um, but but also you know how do you you know other than taking a run and, and having a cold shower, how under pressure, how do you make that state change from an unresourceful state to a resourceful state? So the the, the, the Kerry Evans and the, the, the all black sort of methodology was to go to a blue head, and they they just found very simple, I guess, anchors or sort of triggers to bring them back to base, mm-hmm. because of course it's a it's a mindfulness really, a beginner's mind the ability to kind of come back to the breath, to be connected to self, to come back to the moment. Um, uh, and it, it begins with a bit of self-knowledge because there are three real, real um, ways that we go, you know, flight, fight or freeze right. um, as, as a response to highly stressful situations. We either retract ourselves, lash out or do nothing. And, mm-hmm. um, so, so three examples from the, from the all blacks, um, uh, Karen, Karen Reed, uh, one of the all blacks, um, later became the captain. Um, he tended to go in on himself mm-hmm. and go into a small world. You know, you'd mm-hmm. see the details, but not the big picture. Mm-hmm. So his process was, he would stop and look at every corner of the stadium in his own good time to give himself a big picture, mm. to take himself out of one state and put himself into a better state. Um, Richie McCaw would disassociate a bit, so he used the haka. He would ground himself, come back to earth. Um, uh, another player tended to lash out and hit people if he was under pressure or, you know, it, uh, overexert his aggression. So he would throw water on himself to cool himself down. So they're very simple, both metaphors and anchoring processes. And I guess there's a kind of, you know, NLP uh, side to it, or just a very basic kind of anchoring or or, 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 or sort of trigger-based behaviors, mechanics, um, that, that were all designed to come back to base, to come back to the moment, so that it's not about past or future thinking, it's about task-based immediate uh, thinking. We control the controllables. Um, oh, You you Um, highlighted, no, no, I liked it because
0: you had, in what the all blacks had said and what you had highlighted was, you know, we direct our mind because where our, where our thoughts will take us, our thoughts create an emotion. The emotion defines our behavior, our behavior defines our performance. So simply if we can control our attention and therefore our thoughts, we can manage our emotions and enhance our performance. Mm -hmm. And I love how you mentioned some of these things that the all black players did because okay so maybe in corporate America now for our athletic teams that those examples that you just used are very oh, I can do that specifically yeah. for in, in you know corporate world we probably can't walk to the water cooler get a cup and <laughs> jam it into our face before we go
1: back yeah. into the meeting but but James, we you
0: highlight can our, a
1: sip, You can take a sip of water before you open your mouth. Um, or, yeah, sorry, go ahead, but, No, sorry. James,
0: no, please. I, what I was gonna say was
1: that this idea that our
0: thoughts, in our terminology, as we highlight in the program book and what we do with our clients is, our thoughts become our words and our mm-hmm. words manifest themselves in our actions. But yeah. don't ever forget, our, it works in the opposite direction too. Yes. Our our actions help us help what we're saying um, um, exactly help us with our thoughts. In your point, in, in in our terminology, James, what we say is take one deep breath. Yeah, we all get natural human emotions. Whenever you feel some natural human emotion, and usually what we would associate as the negative ones, the ones that we feel when we're in distress, anger, sad frustration when we feel those natural human emotions create a habit that we take one deep breath and maybe it means a hundred deep breaths yeah but while you're doing so think and that's the key word right james think how do i best respond to this emotion that'll help my team accomplish the mission
1: The, the the gap between reaction and response you know there is reaction and there is response yes and um you know i, I hate to talk about the navy seals to a, to a marine but but i'm going to for a moment um they talk about box breathing you know in for four hold for four out for four um wherever i got to in for four and so on so there's a sort of a box you know if you visualize it it's exactly the same coming back to the to 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 the breath. I think in the Vedic traditions called Prayayama, pray um, in the yogic traditions, coming back to the breath because our breath is our vital spirit, and and you know in 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 that belief system, and so coming back to ourselves um, regulates us. Um, there's a lot of science been done around actually the ability of breathing exercises to regulate heart rate which brings down cortisol and, and adrenaline levels. And it actually yeah. physiologically calms us. Yeah. Um, so so take a deep breath is ancient wisdom. It's nothing new at all, but it's very powerful. And it's so simple, you know, just because it's common sense doesn't mean it's common practice. That's right. You know, we can think that we're very sophisticated beings and we're, you know, we've got televisions and cars and helicopters and and Apple watches and all of that stuff. But really, on a physiological and psychological there's a great quote from from bill burnback who who was an ad man and madison avenue madman um, and he he said um, technology changes everything but human beings remain the same and yeah. and that human beings have remained the same for thousands of years fundamentally in terms of you know we've changed a bit but but um you know we have this reptilian response We have these different layers of our mind in terms of the way we respond. And if we revert to our reptilian response, we react. And we don't tend to react very well. No. It's fight, flight, or freeze. But if we're able to somehow regulate ourselves so that we're not in that part of our mind and that reactor part of our mind, we can be more rational. Yes. And um, another another, uh, CEO man I respect very much just said his entire leadership practice was was about minding the gap. There's a phrase in, um, in, in the underground in London, they say mind the gap, don't fall into the, the gap between the platform and the train, but mind the gap. How do you, how do you extend that gap as wide as you can between reaction and response? Yeah. Um, so that you have a robust um, uh, space in which you're strong enough internally to be able to Endure the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that get thrown at you and not just lash out. You know, you go, okay, that's. I noticed that. That's interesting. He said something I don't really like. Or he asked me a very difficult question about, about our product that I'm not very keen on. Or, or a fan started yelling abuse at me as the coach when I'm in the technical area, whatever it is. And you go, that's interesting. You note that, but you keep that gap strong. So that actually you can come back um, and and it's about the controlling of attention, Mm -hmm. as you say, and if your attention are based on sound values, you know, your values will set up your attention, you know what you value is what you look for, but we can lose that and we can sell ourselves out really by reacting, you know, And we end up that's what we end up regretting. And that's what we end up regretting. It's, you know, I'm a good, I'm a peace loving family man, and I lash out at somebody at three o'clock in the morning with too much booze in me. You know, that's not me. Well, it was, but that's not me. That's yeah. not my core thing. And that's what we end up regretting. That's and right. so I think that's a large right. part of, of performance, you know, on the field, a bit in life, must be about cultivating that gap, that, that, mm-hmm. that. Um, area between reaction and response and those who are composed, calm in a storm, able to are genuinely have genuine kind of psychological resilience and strength are those who are, who have enough juice in the tank or gap in the gap in the gap if you like um, yeah. so that it's not the, the thing that comes in. Um, and there's another aspect to that as well which is what the, the Buddhists call the second arrow guarding against the second arrow, which is, you know, somebody says, you know, I hate all Marines. And you go, whoa. And then you go, no, I mind that, you know, it's okay. And then there's that flood where, where of indignant where, where, you know, 30 seconds later, the thought comes up, he really shouldn't have said that. And that's the one you have to be really careful of. And the Buddhists call that the second arrow. It's like, you can handle the first one, but you haven't really processed it. And that yeah. second arrow is going to come in. You've got to hold the gap uh, to, to do that so that that second one that comes in, you can go, breathe, all right. Yeah, listen, Marines suck, it's fine. I'm okay with that. That's real strength, being able to self-deprecate and and not get activated by yeah. things that on the first instance. And then you have a good old laugh about it and you're best of friends. Yeah. But if you reacted off your first one, you're definitely not. The
0: uh, James, you know, based on all your references to the to the seals, maybe it's your it's not you who I love, uh, but maybe it's your editor because in your book I, I love the shout outs that you give to the Marine Corps throughout throughout Legacy, uh, and then we talk and it's all about the seals. But I'll oh, but look. Yeah, I've, I've done hey,
1: since writing the book. I've I've had the privilege of doing uh, a bit of work uh, with the seals, and you know you, you know the the ethos. I think is not dissimilar. I think there is a warrior code, James. And I, I do I, think that I, is whether it's the SEALs or the Marines or British Special Forces or the Gurkhas or the Paratroopers, um, uh, or to that matter, some SWAT teams uh, or firefighter teams. Um, there is something that is really fundamental in a in a group of committed people um, That's right. who understand what is important within a group dynamic, who are, who are values based. Have a clear vision of where they're going and is very purposeful, and value those values. And I and so although I've I have talked a lot about the the seals in this uh, case, I by no means uh, uh, favor one over the other. Actually, I just think there are some fantastic lessons in all of those environments.
0: James, I in James, let me be the first person to tell you, I'm just joking about it because I know, I know. the 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 thing that I point out to everybody when they when they ask me about this being marine corps special operations and as a force recon marine is um this idea of you know rivalry and and all this stuff well yes if you press me i'm going to say yes we're the best right but i i would hope that you feel that same way about your organization right cool. and yep. whatever it is and the truth is that there are world-class human beings that are navy seals there's world-class human beings that are force recon that are gurkhas that are british sas that are the royal marines yeah and you know what and there's some people who really aren't but they're also in those organizations unfortunately and you know and and, And, and and it's and that's every one of them that's every one of them james you it with this idea of red and blue it, it the it's, it's interesting because it's really a lead up b- with the, and, and you talk about how the first 15, they kind of go in order and they do because the more that we can train under pressure, ex- have high expectations, train under pressure, but then remain calm in the face of adversity. You're talking about, it, it, now I'm not going to talk about the SEALs because I, because I wasn't one, but, but I, I can, yeah, you're talking about the Marine Corps. That's what yeah. the Marine Corps allows you to do. Have very high expectations, Train under yep. pressure every day and then remain calm when, and the yep. better we can do those first things, the easier it is to remain a blue head when Absolutely. faced with great adversity. I talk about the, the, our response to the coronavirus. That I, I think a big issue with a lot of people is this is the first time they've ever dealt with the unknown. And right. they, quite frankly, can't handle it. While a marine goes. I mean, we we lived our life in the unknown, and we're able to remain calm from yep. it. And I give the Marine Corps a lot of credit for that. Uh, but as you discuss it in Legacy, uh, it really is being able to have high expectations, train under pressure, and then yep. remain calm while doing it. Those things allow you to remain calm, easier, better, quicker. All of those
1: things. Absolutely, and and it and it comes down to you know to conditioning to, yep. to if you don't if you're not prepared for for the unexpected uh then then you know and most you know in the civilian world and and we don't prepare for that but of course one of the things within within uh, a military mindset and military training is that it is training a lot of the time through adversity
0: that's
1: right you know that's through right. and adversity reveals character and and it and it and it weeds out, you know, a lot of the hell weeks or the equivalents, they, it, it mm-hmm. weeds out those who, who don't have the stuff,
0: mm-hmm. who, are gonna,
1: who are gonna crumple. Um, but, but it also, um, it, 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 it allows the sense that, you know, most of the forces we've talked about fight surrounded. You know, you arrive in the middle of a situation, you are outnumbered and surrounded. You know, as soon as you're you're dropped in somewhere or you turn up on a beach somewhere. And so that takes a certain amount of the ability to, you know, adapt, improvise, overcome, as you That's say, right. That's right. Um, you know, one, one, of the, one of the nice things, and I think it's probably, I don't know where this came from originally, but is you know, is the, in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a battlescape of any form, That's you know, right. it's volatile, things will kick off at any moment. Um, it's uncertain who knows what's going, going to happen. It's complex, there are a lot of moving parts. It's mm-hmm. ambiguous, it's difficult to read. And you know one of the kind of almost trite but very telling antidotes to that is you know VUCA, vision, understanding, cohesion or connection, and agility. Mm-hmm. You know vision, being very clear on what we're doing and why we're doing it, having a sense of the end game. Understanding, making sure that everybody gets it, we're all on the pro. You know, we're part of the program, if you like. Um, Connection that we're all one team. That there's unity of command. There's there's but there's genuine connection, and that tends to come through care and compassion. You know, and collaboration and communication and all of those C words, the C suite, if you like. Yes. And if you get all of that, you get the agility you need to respond. To yeah. suddenly shift your operations online, for instance, mm-hmm. the digital transformation that's happened in the last six months would have taken ten or twelve years potentially. You that's know, right. but you need those factors. You need clarity. I, I think the principles of war. You know, the selection and maintenance of the aim is number one. You know, what is it we're doing here together? And unless you've got that that vision, uh, then then what are we doing? That's and right. unless everybody gets it. And that's really that distributed leadership model leadership at the lowest level leaders create level leaders kind of philosophy, if you like, and then cohesion, which comes from really playing together a lot, you know, being together a lot, but it also comes from the the human connective tissue, you know, you know, conversations, um, care, compassion, camaraderie, the the, um, esprit de corps. Um, you know, the moral factor, hugely important, but and if you get those three, the the agility will follow, you know, you will really be a tight ship and able to respond to whatever gets thrown at you. So on a collective level, I think we're sort of talking about the same thing. How do you how do you prepare to be in a difficult environment? Uh, and, And those factors are very much the same.
0: Yeah, the Marine Corps always highlights the importance of the mission your teammates yeah notice you are not one of the two things that it highlights and it instills but if everybody on your team can stay focused on what our mission is and all of our actions are based on accomplishing it and what's best for my teammates yeah if we can do that becoming being a blue head becomes a byproduct of our doing so.
1: Yep. Exactly. And and um uh you know one one of my favorite phrases from San Antonio Spurs is is you know how can I make my teammates better? And 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 uh what what I love about it is there's the mission side of it and it's the actually I am a resource I am a contributing factor to everyone around me and 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 that's fantastic because you know then that everyone around you is a contributing factor to you and that's selflessness of that's, service. That's right. That is a reciprocity um, and and that's trust. That's real trust. That's it's, right. It begins with a, with a selfless contribution to everybody else. I will, you know, literally in military terms I will give my life to you. But in business terms, we are giving our life to each other or certainly to the mission anyway, we can spend 20 years working for, for, for a company. That's our life or well, 30 years, right. you know, the big part That's of our right. life. So sacrifice. So, you know, one thing that I, I try to advise, you know, um, you know, young people coming through is, you know, you're going to give your life for your career, make sure it's a, it's a purpose worth sacrificing for.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: that makes sense. So that doesn't need to be militarily, you know, mm-hmm. there's a clear kind of sense of that in a military mm-hmm. sense, but, but, you know, you're going to give your life to this, make it a life worth living. You know, what what are you giving your life to? It is life and death. Um, mm-hmm. And then it becomes a life of service, you know, finding something bigger than yourself and then committing yourself to it. And yeah. we talked about happiness. You know, happiness actually is a fleeting event, but satisfaction, um, I think, is the main event, you know, the to doing work where you where you look back after a day, after a year, after a life and go, yeah that was time well spent i gave my life to something that matters um and the reality is the only way you give your life to something that matters is you you give it you give your your service for want of a better phrase to the to everyone around you Mm -hmm. how can you be how can you make your teammates better um sanders military academy served to lead you know the the idea that really leadership and leading a satisfying good life is is a life of service of some kind. What do we devote our lives to? Mm-hmm. And, and um, again, it's one of the most ancient old ideas uh, in Hinduism, they call it, you know, kind of bhakti, you know, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a devotional love, for, for in their case, for a god, but it's be godlike, you know, do all of that. Um Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about level five leadership as being the kind of the quotient, which is a, a servant leadership model. Um, but also it's not altruistic. It's not Boy Scout stuff, Eagle Scout stuff. It's it's because it works. Because yeah. that's that's the dynamic that strong teams are built from. Because yeah. as soon as you've got somebody taking more than they give, that's not a team anymore. No, and, and James, and, and that's the that's
0: the real uh, thing as a leader that you must be constantly vigilant about because selflessness is a combat multiplier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But but if you allow one person into your organization who is selfish, then that is cancer. Because then, well they're not going to do it for me. They don't have my best interest at heart. So why do I do it? To, then that per, that becomes pervasive in any team. And as yeah. a leader, I think too often leaders say, but God, that person's so talented. They can win me games. They can yeah. do this for me. They can do that for me. Just realize leaders, allow yeah. it. Then that's who you are. Not that person is selfish. Your organization is. Yeah. And- if they are, if it is to your point, James, there is no
1: trust. Yeah, and 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 you know we we are what we overlook. I think that's yeah. the sort of point you're making. You know, if we if we condone it, that's what we become. Yeah, um, uh, and I think the um, you know the, the the I mean it's the no dickheads philosophy really is the idea that um and you know there are a thousand examples of of teams that they're weakened technically but they but in terms of their teamship uh it takes the game to the next level and there's a lot of psychology actually and around you know teams that are teams that are very task focused and they focus just on competence um tend to out- underperform compared with teams that have a degree of competence, but they may not have the highest level of competence, but they have very high competence in terms of teamwork, in terms yes. of their ability to work together because it's a force multiplier, combat right. multiplier. Um, Napoleon said the the moral to the physical is as three to one, That's you right. know, the, the, the moral factor, the teamship, is a force multiplier on, on your assets. Um, and and high performing teams know that. And, and it's why the teams right at the tip of the spear recon or the SEALs or, the, or, or an international rugby or football or an NFL team. They or McKenzie
0: and or McKenzie uh, and or yeah, yeah. yeah
1: they, they know that, that you might have difficult characters. And there's a difference between a dickhead and a kind of a maverick, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to have cognitive diversity, it's important to have people who question stuff. But if that's at the expense of the of the common cause, of the mission, um, nah. See you later. You're gone. Sorry. You should be gone because that will erode the mission. Yeah. And and uh, in your formulation, you know, mission and team, you know, the two work together. You don't have you don't get one without the other. And 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 if you're thinking like that, the the short term pain of losing your most talented but difficult member um is by no is just short term pain no one is a, right. in a in a good environment no one is a replaceable or, or should be
0: james chapter 10 know thyself authenticity the mark of a true leader begins with honesty and integrity james the first 15 uh, as i said earlier I, I, a legacy is one of my Top five books of all time. Anytime I'm being interviewed, and somebody says, Eric, tell me a book I need to read. Legacy is always one of the first out of my mouth. Um in Legacy of the first 15, this is probably the chapter, the leadership lesson that struck a chord with me greatest. And the reason is because when, and people have told me this, and I know this just from self-reflection, my talent is not going to overwhelm you. I was never the best athlete. I certainly was never the best student. Uh, I I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Um, I I don't have wonderful idea, business ideas, Um, but I do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah, Always. Now, (laughs) let me stop there and say I have made great mistakes in my life and the things that I regret are when I haven't done that. However, discipline, now you call it integrity and great, that's how we define, that's how I define being disciplined. Do what you say you are going to do. It's why chapter 10, know thyself, just spoke to me on a visceral level. I love, you write, it's useful to think of integrity, not as morality, as many people do, but as workability. It's not about being pure or noble. It's about getting stuff done. Though the end result is trust, belief, and respect, these are merely the byproducts of the fact that when we say something will happen, it actually does happen. This means that others can count on us to deliver, and most importantly, that we can count on ourselves. The ontological law of integrity, to the degree that integrity is diminished, the opportunity for performance is diminished. That is, the more slippage there is. The less gets done and the less slippage, the more traction. This idea that integrity is not morality, but rather workability. It's about getting stuff done. Yeah. James, it spoke to me. I love your book. This chapter for that there is what spoke to me greatest, what I love most about the entire book. Well, thank you. Yeah.
1: I, you know, I think, it's, I think it's vital. I think just on a very simple level, if you're standing out on a street corner and it's raining and somebody said they'll be there at three o'clock and they're there at 20 past three, you get wet. It doesn't work. And, and uh, you know, there can be all sorts of reasons why somebody is, is delayed and that's human, um, but you still get wet. And, uh, and, uh, and so the, I mean, you know, Woody Allen maybe said it best, if I'm allowed to quote him. He, he said, you know, success is just turning up to the meetings. And, <laughs> really? you know, really there's just a lot of just the everyday, not grind, because that kind of makes it, but it's just do the doing. Not like, ah oh, yeah, I meant to do that. I was going to do that. Sorry, I, I said I'd do that. You know, and following up and doing that. And of course, we all, there's slippage. You know, we all suffer from slippage. But, but if you can uh, speak the world into existence, say, I will do that and do it, well, you're an active agent, therefore, in things turning out in a certain direction. And if you don't do it, it doesn't. You know, and it's the and, little things, right, James? It's the it's little the things. Little it's the little things that kill teams. It's Absolutely, it's, it's, the, it's the unanswered phone call or it's the- um, This is gonna, I'm gonna hand this to you on Wednesday and Wednesday it's not there. Yeah, yeah. And somebody goes, oh, you know, God, we don't have that thing. And then something else falls apart or if, or if, you know, such and such doesn't hand it in, that means I don't have to either, you know, and then the slippage comes in and I'm a bit late for the meeting. And the, the, a coach I know uh, calls it the, the, the telltales. You know, on a sailing boat, the, the, you, you look for the wind direction through telltales, the, the little bits of ribbon. Mm-hmm. And so he talks about it as telltales. And he says, it's just the small stuff. It's like, do they turn up in the right kit? You know, do they turn up on time? Do they, do they you know, go back and pick up the training cones that they've realized they've, they've left behind? Do they um, make sure, you know, you know, all of that small stuff. Do, you know, what sort of state do they leave the showers in? You know, do they do they answer their texts straight away or three days later? You know, and, and everyone has their quirks. It's not about being an inhuman machine. I think I think that's really important as well. There is a there is a kind of a got to be a normal tolerance, otherwise, otherwise um, discipline becomes control. And micromanagement and all of that, and that that has unintended consequences that are that are profound. And so I think there's got to be a you know a little bit of give and take, but fundamentally the intent to to be your word, um, particularly as a leader, because you're setting the tone, um, is I think the number one most important fundamental. However, however, I put it—you uh, know requirement of leadership, um, and and of team and of teamship, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, if, but, if leaders don't model this integrity, this discipline,
0: yeah. just shut up about expecting your team to do it. Absolutely. If, and, and if you and would, don't get your report in on Wednesday, don't tell somebody else to do it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I was, I was, I was brought into a team to do a kind of a culture job, Um, a rugby team in the UK, you know, you know, very well respected previously had done very, very well. They were kind of struggling. Um, uh, And I was brought in and I did a couple of sessions with them. And then the third session trying to arrange it, somebody stood, somebody forgot to let me know. And I'd driven, I drove half the country to be there and there was no one there. Oh, sorry about that. And then it happened again. And I walked in the end from that job because I said, I can't help you. You know, if that's the way you manage, if that's the way you manage me, that's the way you're managing everything. Um, and of course, that team has never performed to its level. Yeah. And there should be no surprise at all. There's no surprise whatsoever. They, they will never be a good team. If that's the culture, if that's the way they see things, you know, and it was set at the top and it was lazy and and uh, and it was unfixable unless there was a, a, a personal transformation and realizing actually that's not the way things need to be run around here. And the example that was set and uh, you you just can't have excellence without it, you and know, was it the number one it, factor it, in excellence, I think.
0: And it's got to start with the leader, yeah. demanding it out of him or herself first, and then yeah. demanding it out of the team. And if there's those individuals who can't show up on time,
1: yeah,
0: who can't call you to tell you that it's there, yeah. then it's the leader's responsibility to get rid of those individuals. Yeah. yeah. James Sacrifice, chapter 11 we talked about selflessness earlier. You had a great, you had a great story there of, of an, a young man who who's just about to make his All Blacks debut. Now, in, and I love that in Sacrifice you, you talk about, it, and you had mentioned it earlier, find something you would die for and then give your life to it. But you, you give the story of Benson Stanley about to make his All Blacks debut. And Benson says, I was in the hotel when one of the senior guys comes up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and gave me two questions to think about. First, what do I have to offer the team? And second, what am I prepared to sacrifice? Hmm. Butch Jones works at Alabama football is a good friend of, of mine and of ours at the program. I stood in the back of a hall before a game. And I remember him getting up in front of the team, coach Jones, getting up in front of the team and saying effort is the weakest word in the English language. I want to find men and he's talking to a a football team here. So I want to find men who are willing to take strain, who are willing to sacrifice for their teammates. And I read that story about Benson Stanley It reminds me of coach Jones, but those are two powerful questions that senior on the team asked him about to make his debut, because I believe we live in a culture, James, which is, Hey, what's your organization going to do for me? Mm -hmm. And here the questions are, no, 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 no. What are you going to do for us? And what are you willing to sacrifice to do it?
1: It's powerful. It is. And and I think, I think they're brilliant questions. Um, uh, They, I believe they still do it, but they're the core questions that that any new member comes in, and it, it's a rite of passage. They they need to stand up and and declare themselves and actually answer those questions in in public and and in front of the team and just the team. Right? coach is not there, so it's just the team, um, just the players, and then then the the, uh, the team perform a haka for for the young players, and they're part of the team, uh, having been having been through this process. And I think. The the you know young men treat this in in many different ways, but but I know that some of the the areas they go into, it's not just a sacrifice like I can't you know have a couple of pints on a on a Friday night, or or um, miss a couple of trainings or whatever it is. It's also I think I think if you look at it as a human being for a moment. Jung talked about the shadow side that the dark side of our existence you know the the irritability anger the malevolent streak we can have cruelty and we and and that real freedom comes from owning it and realizing that we're capable of all sorts of things depending on our decisions um and you know a question i think is worth asking is you know what are you what are you committed to let's say it's your family you know Creating an environment in which your, your kids will flourish or everyone in your family, but particularly your kids will flourish. And you go, what am I prepared to sacrifice? And some of it will be kind of the freedom of bachelorhood and, you know, um, you know, golf weekends or whatever it is, you know, long skiing weekends, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually the real sacrifice, the real questions has got to be what are the what are the monsters you're going to slay? You know what's the stuff that you need to give up in yourself—the the, the irritability, indifference. In the UK, irony is a good one. Well, I don't really care anyway. Cynicism, self sabotage—you know—you know all of the stuff that stop you being a hundred percent there, and and present, and committed um, to, to to what it is. And I found that it's a it's a fant- in terms of you know I do I do. Um, So, you know, some one-to-one kind of coach coaches on a one-to-one and often that personal transformation side of it without it being too kind of therapy-like. There are some challenging questions just around, you know, what is it the stuff that actually it's worth kind of sacrificing on the altar of success, if you like, giving up. And they don't, it's not necessarily the good stuff always. It can also be that negative side of things, because they're kind of indulgences: irritability, impatience, gruffness, um, mm-hmm. screaming at your you know screaming at your players, you know, um, treating them mean to keep them keen. You know, what what are the different sort of strategies that maybe you, it's time to grow out of, personally? And they can be really good questions, I think, for any any human being. I think any parent, because um, we've all got that stuff you know, we've all got the dark, the darkness, if you like, and, and unless we shine light on it, and we're prepared to negotiate it in a different way, then it's got a greater hold on us than, than we think, I think. So I think there are different aspects to that, to that sacrifice. I also think it's, it's comes back to the humility piece that we talked about in in our first session together, um, which is, which is the antidote to entitlement, as you say, you know, yeah. ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. The yeah. JFK yeah. speech, yeah. and and we're clearly in a time where um, there is a lot more apparent entitlement around. And I'm not. I think it's I think it's rough actually to to generalize um, the millennials. Let's say, which has sort of almost become a, a meme that it's an entitled generation. Actually, it's a generation that is. Uh, when this cliche kind of began, we're in their entitled years, you know, early twenties, teenage years, early twenties. Who wasn't a little, well, a lot of people aren't, but but you know, it's a pleasure-seeking, relatively psychologically immature phase, and all of that kind of thing. But of course, the millennials are their 30s, sitting on their forties now. Um, uh, you know, but but there are pockets. Uh, there is more choice, there is a disposable income, maybe not asset rich, but um, there is social media, there are all the algorithms that conspire. And I think all of those conspire to distract us and make us feel that we're to create a more narcissistic uh, environment, algorithm bubble that we tend to live in. And, and, and a lot of the time, unfortunately, that becomes, well, what can you do for me? What mm-hmm. can I get out of this conversation? Do I like it? You know, mm-hmm. you know, how many you know, how many Reddit karma can I get? You know what what what's my stuff? What's my payoff from this? And of course, that's a short game. That's a short term strategy. I think for success, you know, value value is created in any business when you create value from it for other people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you need to create value for other people, and then you are valued, and from that value, you accrue value. You get paid. James, and, you know, and so entitlement is like you're, 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 it's a credit card loan. You haven't, it's not an investment. You're not earning anything. You're really taking money out before, you know, or goodwill or whatever, before you've really contributed anything. And I think fundamentally, as a mindset, you're on one side or the other. And if you're on the taking money out, if you're, if, if, if rather than creating value for others, you're on the wrong side of history, I think. Yeah. I love how you, how you talked about,
0: it and it really framed it, where you said, whatever we give our life to, whether a business or a project, a family or a sport, a cause or an art or a belief, or time spent looking at our phones, we are always making sacrifices. Whether we, give a, whether we are giving up an hour or a day or a lifetime, we are spending our lives. We are giving our lives for it. So it better be worthwhile. So, and first, James, you talk about the millennials. There's something our clients know. We highlight it. I talk about it in my my keynote speeches. You're never going to hear anybody at the program talking about kids these days. First of all, one of the quote unquote kids these days have saved our lives in the military. Number one. Number two, kids these days, we're the people raising them. (laughs) You you want to know you want you want to know why kids are entitled. That's because you're entitled, parent. You want you want to know why your kid looks at their phone all the time. Yeah, because you are. That's why. Like, stop, stop blaming the kids these days. But but, getting back to the idea of sacrifice, though, I, I think that that is just key. About we have to have be very cognizant, very aware of how we are. And and I use this term. I say, yeah, most people how they're spending their time really successful people look at it as how they are investing their time yeah yeah yeah
1: i think that's a nice way to look at it and you know life is brutally short you know it is fleeting and and there was a i um you 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 might have heard it before i hadn't heard it but i but i um uh and i've I've sort of reprocessed this i heard it in a speech uh that that a colleague gave and you know your life is a week. You know, Monday, your age naught to 10. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our kids, roughly speaking, are in the first 10 years, um, no, you're on Monday. Tuesday, 10 to 20. Wednesday, um, 20 to 30. Thursday, 30 to 40. Right, Friday, 40 to 50. I'm in my 50s. Welcome to the weekend. And I hope it's going to be a long weekend. You know? Yeah. You know, my working week is kind of done and yeah. I'm down to the last weekend. What am I going to do with my weekends? It's my valuable weekend. Um, how am I gonna spend that time in a way that fulfills me, that that makes a difference?
0: Yeah,
1: um, that makes a contribution to my kids. You know, these are the good old days. Right now, these are the good old days. And and do I spend it kind of, you know, with my feet with my feet up on, you know, on a couch. You know, flicking through, you know, YouTube videos of cats. Well, if that's what I value, absolutely, that, yes. that's fine. Yes. But, yes. but um, a sense of urgency about life, and and this is one of the in the C suite, this is sort of one of the things that cadence, uh, uh, you know, the, the pace, an urgency, a kind of a a work rate, um, a productivity is incredibly important. In any life, you know, we have to, to, to not be complacent about that aspect of it. You know, life isn't as simple as just keep your head down and work hard. Luck comes into it, circumstance comes into it, all of that stuff. But if you don't work hard, you don't make the luck. And right. and and maintaining a, a you know a steady a, a good drumbeat of activity is is fundamental. And and that means making choices. You know, one of my favorite lines is. You know, you can be anything you want, but you can't be everything. Yeah. You, know, you, can't, be, you can't be everything. So what is that thing? Or th- what are those things? And it comes down to three or four areas that you can really focus, as we say, your attention on. And so by focusing your attention on the stuff that really matters to you, first defining it. Yeah. You know, going through the hard work of going, this is true. And this comes back to the authenticity side of it as well. Who am I and the value side of it? Who am I truly? And then focusing your attention on, I am going to do this and then actually doing it Mm -hmm. and then doing it every day and then doing it as much as possible and and getting that balance right. You will produce the results. You, that will take, because that's where you're putting all your energy, your life will go in that direction. And then you'll get COVID. COVID will come along and knock your business for sex for a little while. Um, or, or you know, you'll break a leg, or you'll do something, you'll have all of those things, but at least you will got your momentum in, in that direction. And I think that's fundamental. Yeah. Well,
0: I think how we say it, James is is always, and we say it, I mean, I think everybody says this, but, but I think a lot of people confuse passion as like this love or somehow involved with sex or something. When passion really means sacrifice what what are the things in your life that you're passionate about which means what are the things in your life you're willing to sacrifice for and we highlight to people is Facebook are you really willing to sacrifice for Facebook Mm -hmm. I don't know are you willing to sacrifice like no my family my teammates at the program my friends and myself okay everything else can pound sand so yeah
1: yeah (laughs) And and you know, you know again again, you know for those of you thinking, oh, this is a little bit kind of strict, you know. Well, yeah. First, I don't think it's about strictness. I think it's about focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's a long game. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a bit of downtime and flick through a bit of Facebook if you want once in a while, or have a beer, have a you know have a have a quiet beer, or watch a watch a a, a crappy movie. You know, you know, that's okay too. You know, we, we, we also need time to, to reboot and to regenerate and reflect and to take the pressure off ourselves because recovery, you know, you know, in any physical and mental state, you know, those recovery, that downtime is really important too. But, but it's also about um, to an end, which is, you know where you're going, you know what you have to do to get there. You've got, you've chunked your goals you, you maintained a work rate, you've, you've, you've created a coalition of the willing around you to try that happen. You're leading by example, you're keeping your word. Um, uh, and hopefully you, you're having fun. There's, a, there's a, another lovely phrase, um, Flaubert, the French writer, who said you want to get to, a, 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 I'm paraphrasing again, but you kind of want to get to the point in your, in, in your career where you, you hunger for the tools of your craft you know you miss the you you miss it uh, you know what it is and you miss doing that stuff and when you get to that point and you know for for me it's been part of it has been the public speaking side of what I do I love it down the line but there's nothing quite like the matinee session you know of, of speaking to people and the electricity in the room and of course yeah agreed you, you want to get that, you know, if that's what you love, that's what you love. And you want to put yourself in a position to do it. But at the same time, that might mean that you can't do a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I love to ski, but, um, you know, and I would almost quite happily in, a, in an alternative life spend, you know, most of my life living in a van, um, you know, traveling <laughs> yes. to different ski resorts and, and, and in perpetual search of powder, that would be an amazing life. I'd love that. Yeah. Right, but I wouldn't have a marriage and I wouldn't have my kids who I love and I wouldn't have the books that I'm writing and I wouldn't have my speaking thing mm-hmm. and I probably wouldn't have the community that I'm part of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a choice and we need to make those choices. You know, humans are uh, very well, unique in a way in our ability to have ideas, like crystallize ideas and then choose between those ideas. Yes. And and I think the ability to generate a whole bunch of ideas and you know one of the circles of hell must be I have too many ideas and I don't know which one to choose from, <laughs> or I won't make a cho- a choice of them, uh, and some people you know you know that's that's a genuine kind of psychological condition, um, but you've got to hold them up and go choose that that, well,
0: that That's right,
1: one hundred percent. Because we that's could be right. any but we, you know, but we can't, we can't be everything. What's that thing? And what has to go? And what what can I bring? You know, what can I bring to the team? And what am I prepared to sacrifice? I think they're brilliant, brutal, but brilliant questions around focusing attention and, and living a life that matters.
0: James, you've been gracious enough to join us twice, I'm going to make sure that I don't require you to join us three times. So I'm yeah. going to I'm going to talk three about
1: chapters quick, quick fire. That's I'm okay. gonna,
0: we're going to do that. And, and I think this will be better anyway, because then I'll, I'll go down to the, to the granular level on every chapter with you. And then people are going to say, well, God, now I don't have to buy legacy. So I want to make sure that I can drive book sales of legacy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give you a question on each of the last five of the 15. And I'll let yeah. you have the final word on each, which, Just goes to show you how much uh, I respect you, James, because God, as my teammates at the program will tell you, I'll suck the air out of any room and always want to have the final words. So here you go. Invent the language. Sing your world into existence. James, I thought it was interesting because you named this chapter as inventing a language, but then what at least my level of reading comprehension, uh, makes me think is that this chapter is actually more about a focus on values in a in a constant in a need to have a constant focus on values yeah am i right am i wrong is my reading comprehension just
1: really no you know i think it's it's about you know i I think the question is if if we're creating an environment around ourselves does the way we language that environment and by language i kind of mean verbal but also symbolic and also ritualistic. What what narrative do we create around ourselves, and is that an expression of our core values, of who we really are, and what we really want? And you know, I think I think you know, great teams create a, what I call a a common but uncommon language. Uh, you know, you think about the Marine Corps. You know, one one of one of the things that that I think is really interesting out of uh, many high performing teams uh, across any different domain is one of the words or phrases that comes out is um, the words is outstanding. And I, you know, I imagine that was in the Marine Corps, but outstanding. Now, that's not a surprise. They are outstanding environments. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. That language encapsulates something that's that's profoundly required in that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the highest possible standards, you know, held to a higher standard. Um, uh, the language is that in, in in the old traditions, you know, they, they were called sutras, um, those aphoristic phrases that that hold things together, sweep the sheds, you know, no dickheads, um, go for the gap, they're sutras. Now sutra means thread. And, and, and it's a way a culture of philosophy is woven together is through, is true language and you can't really see culture, but you can see it manifested and it's manifested through the way we speak, certainly the way we behave, but that's shaped by the environment around us, the way we speak, mm-hmm. um, the symbols, the badges, the medals, the the flags, and also mm-hmm. things like, like um, uh, rituals, like the haka, mm-hmm. or um, Monday morning meetings, Mm-hmm. or fist bumps or high fives or um the way we celebrate you know what are those repetitive kind of behaviors and and that's really what i mean by that common but uncommon language what are, what are the ways we express our values in that environment what how do we and surround ourselves we talked before about kind of online algorithms where these worlds within worlds exist you can be Pro Trump or anti Trump or a, a pro vaccines or anti vaccines. You can be, you know, Texas or you can be California. And if you're, if they are your key words, that's the world that's going to be presented to you online. And you will become more of that because yeah. you're being conditioned by that environment, by that language around you. And, Very scary. And if you're deliberate about it mm-hmm. in the way you construct your environment. Um, mm-hmm. From a leadership point of view, particularly within a small team environment, or even within, like you say, we don't talk about it's hard, it's a challenge. That's, that's a way you've reframed the experience for your child, for your boy, or for your, for your kids and for yourself about, you know, how you, how you face difficult situations. And, and, um, and I think it's really, really vital just very quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of time, but the, the, the one, of, one of the Um, this is one for the coaches, uh, really that one of the processes I've used has been really successful is, um, it's kind of BS bingo. If I can put it like that, um, the BS bingo comes from, it's a joke from conferences where you write down buzzwords like bingo, if, if, you know, I'm not sure what Mm -hmm. it's called. Yeah. Bingo. Yep. Bingo. Bingo, bingo, Um, and, and you write down your blue sky thinking out of the box paradigm shift, whatever they all are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you, in the conference, you're supposed to kind of cross them out and then stand up and yell BS or worse at yeah. that point. That's the yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, but it's actually really interesting. If you if you run a team session, and you go, what's the language that doesn't help us? You know, we blame the referee. It wasn't our night. You know, the weather was bad, whatever it is. You you're a bit tired, end of the season. We're in a period of rebuilding they all of the excuse phrases that you justify not performing well enough through yeah. and you workshop that you brainstorm that, and then you get it down and you create a kind of a bingo card with that language and you work out some way to find it and to have people call each other out. Yeah. I like it. Two weeks later, no, one's using that language. Right. That changes the dynamic within that environment. And then if you introduce new language at the same kind of time, about the the way we talk about stuff and you repeat that, um, you create your own sutras, then, then the expectations that you set within that environment, the standards and expectations within that environment shift. Yeah. They shift and they change behaviors, they alter people's behaviors. And when you've altered people's behaviors, you get a different result. Um, so it's possible to shape your environment through language in its broadest sense, but it's got to be based on your values. It's got to come from who you deeply are. And I think- So it's values
0: line. first, and then language. make sure that the, your language is reinforcing those
1: values. Yeah. So you yeah. live those values out loud. You express them in, in you express them and then you express them through you and then they shape the behaviors so that your la- lang- language, if you like, your common but uncommon language is an expression of your values Uh, and they will dare shape your behaviors, which then will impact your performance.
0: Ritualize to actualize, create a culture. Yeah. Uh, We discussed in in here today, and you, you mentioned it again, the haka in our first conversation about a ritual. But the other rituals that the all blacks conduct. I, I love the idea about players handing down their jerseys, their jersey number to the next player. I mean, boy, if you want to ritualize to actualize legacy, it's about the all blacks, it's about not you, it's about the you're the just the body in this jersey having one player hand that down to a next player. Boy, that, that, that that's incredibly uh, effective, isn't it? Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit for us, James.
1: Well, well if you if we, we talked about military environments, it's like a change of command. You know, it's very much the same. It's a similar kind of ritual, isn't it? It's like, okay, now it's yours, look after it. Um, yeah. I think of, of President, uh, George W. Bush's letter to President Obama when he took office, um, worth having a look at on 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 the internet of a of somebody handing responsibility over and saying, you know, it's not you and this is the, I'm handing the presidency over. The idea of the responsibility and all that it means and, and it comes with, and so that idea of legacy handed over in that way, I think is very, very powerful, but I think, and it's an extension of the previous conversation around around language, how do you, how do you create meaning that is handed down from generation to generation and, and ritualized behavior um, uh, is, is a very, very powerful way because it literally embodies the meaning of that team. Um, so there's, I think, I think in this, I, I write about the All Blacks crossing the Severn Bridge from England to Wales. Yeah. (laughs) Halfway across, they stand up and they go, we never lose to Wales. And, you know, they haven't since the fifties. Um, now the, the touch wood and all of that is an All Black supporter, but, you know, can be small things, can be big things, can be hackers, can be big team meetings, but what are the ways that, that you embody meaning? And 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 how as leaders can you craft, if you like, um, a culture that does that? I think the other point I, I I think I make in that chapter is just about the power of of co-creation, mm-hmm. of doing it together. And I think we mentioned this earlier, but but and it's the phrase that Wayne Smith phrase that that I love that people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. You know, one of the things that rituals do, and particularly co-creating a ritual, saying hey hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, hey people, what can we do together that's going to be really mean something to us? You know, if you're shifting offices, how do you make that office your own? Um, I worked with a team who who shifted grounds. Um, they went from one, one stadium to another, effectively. Um, and one of the things we did is we, we had, they came from all over the world, and so we had them take a rock and, um, from their home turf and bring it and make a can a pile and now every player who comes adds to that pile it's the same idea that everyone is bringing themselves to that group to that team and it's become a little ritual just a small ritual of, of building it the idea of everything that's come before and so on um there are, there are rituals liverpool football club uh, have a sign saying this is anfield um, that The players touch on their way out, but only some players. You have to earn the right uh, to be able to do it. Um, the the you know we're we're we we we're, we're a world in which ritual is incredibly important. Shaking hands at the beginning of uh, when we meet or pre COVID anyway uh, when we meet and afterwards um, um, going out for dinner together um, to celebrate something is a is a form of ritual, and we can design that environment. Um, uh, in a way that really creates meaning for our people. Uh, and I think I think it's a very good tool. Um, but I think it's also an, an, a very important kind of anthropological imperative, if you like, for, you know, if you think of leaders, as not just leaders of a team, but kind of leaders in life, uh, marking moments, signifying something. Um, it's a very important part, I think, of, of of that holistic view of what a leader is.
0: chapter 14 leader lesson on leadership 14 be a good ancestor plant trees you'll never see yeah james i i think about my father when i when i read this uh big strong tough guy uh and by tough i highlight and would always kiss and hug us was the favorite thing he did but Second to that was planting trees. We, we live, grew up on a farm here in Northeastern Connecticut, which my family and I now live on. And it's always about planting trees. And uh, you talk about be a good ancestor. Graham Henry says, there's a big saying in the team. You don't own the Jersey. You're just the body in the Jersey at that time, as I had highlighted to just now. But he goes on to say, it's your job to continue the legacy and add to it when you get the opportunity the legacy is more intimidating than the opposition wow it's your job to continue the legacy and add to it when you get your opportunity that's a big that's a bit scary because you'd better be ready for that opportunity correct
1: yeah i think you better be ready so but i think this is an this is an this is an idea that is you know way way beyond a rugby team yeah you know, this is like you mentioned your father this is this is surely one of our first duties in life um i think the be a good ancestor comes from jonas Salk, who um polio right Polio vaccine yeah. and he gave the the intellectual property um away he could have made a fortune from it he i think he did all right anyway but he could have made he could have owned the market um, and he gave it away with the line, you know, my our first responsibility is to be a good ancestors to is to do it right with our time here in the team, which is a global team. And this isn't kind of communism or socialism. This is contribution. This is community. This mm-hmm. is the idea that there is a genuine sense of connectedness. So to, to what are we going to do, you know, with our time here on earth for earth for each other, you know, because that's, it's, it's not an altruistic thing again, purely, it's also because that's where real impact comes from, but for thinking like that. And and you know, the I, I had a really interesting conversation um, uh, with uh, I, again. I, I've I've been working in Nepal and and uh, doing uh, a lot of work around uh, uh, Sherpas and climbing mm-hmm. uh, Everest and and all of this and. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the wise men, Hindu wise men I came across was really talking about, he was talking about horizons. He was saying, listen, hell on earth is when you have a short horizon, you're hungry, and you just need to eat. You're an addict, you just need a fix. And then you might have a horizon, you're looking forward to the weekend. You know, but that's not much of a life. You know, you're just doing a weekend to paycheck to paycheck weekend to weekend. yeah, you know, I just want the weekend to come around. And then you might be kind of looking forward to Christmas, you know, or or New Year, or whatever it is, or your birthday. Well, that's pretty yearly, you know. Then you might be, but but the bigger your horizon, and of course, he was talking about God, you know, he was talking about the idea of of everlasting life and and all of that. Mm-hmm. But but whether the, whether you're a believer in that or not, I think almost the psychology of it is, the longer your horizon, the bigger the life you tend to lead. If you're thinking about yeah. how can I change an industry, how can I change the world, how can I—it's not about me. It's about um, you know preparing my son or my daughter for the path. You know, if it's about setting this team up for success for the next decade or the next hundred years, rather than oh, we just need to win on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, then you live a yeah. profoundly different life, and yeah. and the, your focus shifts. Your focus shifts, and your focus becomes a much uh, more purposeful, um, more powerful, more more committed um, mindset, uh, because you're up to big things, and yeah. and big things call for call you to play big, and they yeah. and they that creates demands, and we either and we rise to those demands. Yes. Um, and so. So, rather than thinking we'll just win on Saturday, say, if you're thinking actually my job here is to is to create the foundations for a dynasty that's going to last a hundred years, you might lose on Saturday, you might win on Saturday, but probably you'll, you know, if you keep your job as a coach, you know, and it, it, it's one of the bugbears I have around modern coaching is that there's so it becomes such a results oriented business that coaches can be out on their air before they've had a chance to do what's required for that environment at that for time for long
0: term success for
1: long term success and yeah. it happens a lot in football and soccer um, where you know the shortest job job ex- expectancy in the UK I think if I'm accurate is to be a Premier League football manager yeah. like 18 months you've got if you're lucky yeah but that's crazy That's bonkers, crazy, because you're just getting a little ripple on the pond uh, in terms of the difference. You know, great, great leadership really is about creating the conditions for sustained success. And I understand all of the pressures. It's it's not a naive statement. But but if you were a really committed owner of a club, you know, you really should be going, how am I going to really create the conditions for long-term success there, for sustainable success? And that takes um, uh, that that takes going back to the fundamentals, and it and it means having a purpose that's that's a much longer term horizon. I think. Plant, plant
0: trees you'll never plant
1: see. Trees you'll never see or never sit in the shade of. You know, play big. Um, have a, have a view for, it, for for your place here in eternity, um, because because actually, the 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 irony, the paradox is, you'll make much better decisions here in the present. Um, yeah. With with that kind of mindset, and you think about Japanese business, for instance, um, or Chinese government, right at the moment, the long term view of that is profound and profoundly powerful. Um, and I and I think there are a lot of um, I, I think there are, I think there's a, a deep requirement at the way because you know the Earth is facing many challenges at the moment. You know, challenges of of population. Mm-hmm. You know, environmental challenges, however you interpret it, you know, they're definitely there. There are a lot of us. We're teaming all over the earth. There are limited resources in many different ways. There are a lot of legacy systems that don't work particularly well economically, in terms of infrastructure, politically. Um, there is there, there are, there's a lot of things that we hold very, very valuable that are much more fragile than perhaps we thought. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, what's the big game here? what are we really trying to achieve here? You know, in a week, I don't want to date this podcast, but in a week in which um, there's a large degree of, of, of people who are kind of voting slightly against democracy at the moment in terms of things. And again, I don't want to get political, but for me, that's like, well, is it really about winning one election and contesting one election through lawyers or is it about setting up in the US American democracy for a healthy and prosperous future? Which one is it? Because I'm sure as heck, gonna stick with a healthy and prosperous future, I hope. But I would argue there are a lot of politicians right now that are not interested in that whatsoever. They're interested in clawing on and holding on to their position and their president through quite a lot of what seems to be, again, I don't wanna annoy anyone, but deep and dishonest um, uh, disinformation. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, what's the game here? Yeah. You know, what's the game? Where's the integrity in that? And that is integrity in a moral sense. And, and unless you're really thinking, what's the big game here? What trees am I planting that I won't even sit in the shade of? What am I prepared to give and sacrifice towards something that really matters? Um, you get a much, much better team, you get a much better society, and you live a much finer life, I think. And that becomes a true legacy, I believe.
0: James, when I left the Marine Corps, I went to business school. And after business school, I worked at Goldman Sachs for a year and a half before founding the program. And when I was there, we're told something very early on in our training. And then throughout your time at Goldman Sachs, it's reinforced. Be long-term greedy. Yeah. Don't make short-term decisions for financial gain at the expense of being long-term greedy, make every choice with the client's best interest at heart. And that ends up being very greedy for you. You end up with the most for doing it. It stuck with me my whole life. I see a lot of problems on any battlefield, every battlefield, every industry, every athletic team, school is people make short-term decisions at the expense
1: of long-term health, wealth, and well-being. It's exactly right, and and I think it's a it's a um, uh, you know you know you, it, it it's the constant battle between you know the, the 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 dark angels of our of our nature and the better angels of our nature, really. Right. right. You know, um, it's the marshmallow test. You know, for, for, for those of kids, you know, yeah. like kids, can they sit there and and expect better reward for later on? You know, they're the successful ones you know, if it's, if it has been replicated, um, you know, they're the successful ones, you know, yeah. the ability to delay gratification in one form or another, to, to, to understand that, you know, um, to take your money out, if you like, before it's had a chance to really build compound interest, yeah. um, to, to, to eat that marshmallow, to, to take the short-term grab. Um, it's, you know, life, although however fleeting life is, it's still a marathon in many ways. And and you know, we're also talking about. I I I think there are the unintended consequences of that around. You know, we're talking. You know, I think the subtext to our conversation over the last two weeks has been uh, two men talking about fatherhood, in Absolutely. a way, and yeah. and. Uh, I, I think I said, I don't know if I said it when we were recording, you know, I wrote Legacy. Uh, I I was uh, freshly a father, mm-hmm. reasonably freshly a father, actually for the second time. But I was thinking a lot about, you know, the the we model the world for our children, in, in a way. And if we're short term greedy, you know, we're not going to cultivate long term greedy, for want of a better phrase for our, for our for our kids, um, and so having a higher purpose, and I'm I'm not talking about God, but for some reason for some people I might be, but something that transcends uh, that immediate um, will make for better decisions, make for better business, make for better relationships, make for a better home life, uh, and make for a better life. and And it's not altruistic and hippie and Boy Scout. It's the it's sort of the, it's the, um, uh, it, it, the the, the, kind it of, the paradox of, of, you know, the the British army have a great phrase, uh, you know, do the right thing on a difficult day, mm-hmm. you know, play, play that, which is really just do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, play that long game, plant trees, you'll never sit in the shade of and good things will come about. Um, and if they Change. don't come, You'll certainly be in a stronger position to deal with them uh, with that mindset than if you're in the what's in it for me, um, but I didn't get paid today, da-da-da-da kind of mindset. James, before
0: we wrap up, I had one question for you as I was thinking, going through the preparation for our conversation. The name Legacy of the book, Hmm. did you... uh, I mean, was it so obvious to you that I have to name this book Legacy that you just said, oh, that's all it can be? Or if it wasn't
1: going to be Legacy, what was it going to be called? I mean, it, my original working title, I think from memory, was, um, I think it was called Field of Play. Um, and so it was, you know, it was in the zone, uh, but it became I realized at some point, I remember the moment, actually, it was yeah, the, the yeah. sort of, I, you know, you, there's something, you kind of get a crawling sensation on the back of your neck and you go, this is it. Um, because it all came, it, it felt like it all came down to that, that the central organizing idea for, certainly for this team and for what I was trying to say about, uh, you know, say through them, if you like. Yes. Yeah, um, so- uh, was really that idea that, um, uh, and I think that came a little bit from, from fatherhood, you know, from a step up into a, into a different kind of mindset that, that is much more about, that was much more long term, I was, uh, I came to fatherhood reasonably late, and I think there are different stages of development, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I was kind of hitting that one, and um, in terms of thinking, you know, what what difference will I make? What what will my legacy be? I also think, as a writer, um, you you need to think about doing work that's timeless. You know, what why why else write a book if it's not being if it's not something that is a contribution? I think that that a legacy of some sort, something that will certainly hopefully um, outlast me. So I think it was a combination of all of those things. Um, and, but in the end, you just go, yep, that's it. And that felt right. It started off with about 35 lessons. And then yeah. I boiled them down, I boiled them down, and I realized actually the magic number is 15 because there are 15 rugby players. And yeah. it felt about the right size for the book. So it's an iterative process, I think, doing anything. Well, Field to Play
0: is, is an awesome title but I would think that at this point you must wake up sometimes in the middle of the night in a cold sweat going, Oh my God, thank God. I called it legacy.
1: So (laughs) because I I was pleased with that, that particular choice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) James. Number 15, write your legacy. This is your time. Your thoughts about it.
1: Well, this is really a a recap. Um, Yeah. Um, in a way, it repeats the chapter before and many of the yes. themes that have come there, but I, I think the, and, and again, forgive me, I can't remember if I told this story, but, um, you know, when the All Blacks become an All Black, um, you know, certainly with the time that I was with the team, they, they they got a book, they were given a book, presented a book. Did I tell yes. this story previously? No, um, I, but I want you to because it's awesome. Yeah. So, so they get given a book, they they get a number of things, they they get a, a cap, and they get a couple of, you know, versions of the jersey that they wore, so they can give one to their mother, their first jersey, and they get a tie, and they get some bruises, and hopefully they get the win. Um, but they get a book, and and it's beautifully presented in black leather, as a silver fern embossed or debossed on the front. And you open the book and there's the original All Blacks Jersey from, you know, hundred and however many years ago. Um, uh, uh, Just black and white, shot in black and white, no words. And then you turn the page, there's the next Jersey and the next page, the next Jersey and Jersey by Jersey and page by page, decade by decade, the history of the team is told up to the Jersey they wear today. Um, You turn the page, there's there's a, a bit of a design, um, uh, it's sort of a tree that's growing with its roots and the values and it kind of comes up um, that sort of depicts if, if you like kind of the, the ethos
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: humility excellence and respect and then you turn the next page and the pages are blank and then you turn the next page and the pages are blank and the pages after that are blank and all the pages are blank to the end of the book and what the blank pages are telling the young players is is this, is, you know, this is your time, this is your moment, this is your team, Um, this is your opportunity um, to represent all those who have come before you in this lineage and all those who will come after. So, you know, what will you bring to the team and what are you prepared to sacrifice? And I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Um, It captures the idea of legacy and the idea of that team, obviously. but, it, but I think it it captures that bigger idea of legacy for us all. and And you know a legacy isn't something, <clears throat> excuse me, that's created in the past for us to live off today. Mm-hmm. You know it's something that we get to create together now for tomorrow. Um, and that's our primary responsibility, I think, as leaders, maybe as human beings is is what will our legacy be? what 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 will we do with our time in the metaphorical jersey? You know, what will we bring? What plant, what trees will we plant that we never sit in the shade of? Who will we inspire? What what will we stand for, for the next generation? How will we, we lead our time, uh, you know, in, in our time and what impact will we make? And I think they're profound questions and I think they're important questions, um, not just in business, but in, in fatherhood, in parenthood in coaching, you know, in, 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 in life, because, you know, we're not here for a long particularly long time. You know welcome to the weekend. I hope it's a long one for me. Um, uh, and I think those questions of what we devote our life to um, and uh, and the therefore the impact that we can make on on those around us and sort of concentric rings around us is for me certainly the most important question we can ask ourselves. and and everything will radiate out from that. You know, that should become a central organizing idea for, for all the other decisions that we have to make in our life. But if we're sticking to that, or, or we begin with that as a question, um, then the answers are good answers, um, or at least the best answers we can come up with. And, and so so that's really what I what, where I wanted to kind of leave the book and imposing that challenge, I guess, uh, for, for everyone. You know, when we ter- turn up for work on Monday morning, You know, what can we bring to the team? What are we prepared to sacrifice? How will we leave our jersey in a better place? Um, What will our legacy be?
0: Well said. The program in this podcast mission is to help develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. We are fanatical about helping people become the very best versions of themselves. Again today, James, I can say unequivocally, mission accomplished, you ensured it. Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure and a real privilege. Thank you very much for the conversation, I've loved it. As a reminder to our audience, James is currently at work on the Legacy Workbook, a how-to practical playbook to help create a culture for competitive advantage for organizations, athletic teams, and or individual leaders. It is designed to help teams and their leaders lift their game. In closing, being a warrior has nothing to do necessarily with the military or certainly male or female. There are warriors in the military, but so too there are warriors teaching and administrating in every school, in every district, in every state as legacy and James made clear. There are warriors coaching and playing rugby. There are warriors coaching and playing football. There are warriors on every softball and baseball diamond and on every soccer pitch, in every basketball gym, hockey rink and on every wrestling mat, on every athletic team. There are warriors in every company, in every industry. And there are also victims, which are you. Warriors embrace adversity as an opportunity. Warriors know that they may not be at fault for where they are at, but they are still fully responsible for where they are going. Warriors never finish second to themselves. They do their very best. Warriors do not care for one second about social media or likes because a warrior does not care about their reputation. Reputation is what others think of you. A warrior cares about their character. Character is who you are when no one is watching. Warriors have a growth mindset. I can and I will get better. James writes, quoting an old Greek proverb, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they will never see. While better people make better all Blacks, They also make better scientists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, bankers, private equity investors, lawyers, advertising agency executives, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. They make better mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers, better teachers, politicians, and friends. Better people make better teammates. Better people make better team leaders. And together, We can make a better world. I challenge you to commit to it. Not in 2021 as some type of New Year's resolution. I challenge you to commit to it today. We can make a better world. Make a commitment to be great teammates and great team leaders. Make a commitment to be a warrior on whatever your chosen battlefield. And then go and do something to make it a reality. The first 15, as outlined by Mr. James Kerr during our conversations with him, is a great place to start. For our listeners, the program book can be purchased on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So too can Legacy. To sign up for our monthly letter on leadership and to learn more about the program and our leadership development and team building services for your own team, go to theprogram.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the program org and on Facebook at the program org and at we do one more. And on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash the dash program dash LLC. Finally, if you have enjoyed today's program's podcast, please leave a review of it on whatever platform you have accessed it from. Thank you and attack.